Welcome to a podcast about history made for middle and high school social studies students and everyone in between who wants to learn about social studies but are out of school due to this coronavirus. In this series, we're going to be discussing all the topics that you would cover in a World History 2 class. We're going to start by discussing the bubonic plague and the spread of its origins and all that. We're going to start off uh, by introducing my co-host. I'm, I'm Brendan Horho. I'm a social studies teacher uh, in Butner, North Carolina, and I'm here with Nicholas Rishkevitz. Yes. Hello. I am a social studies teacher also in North Carolina. And we're joined today by Kevin Beato. Yep. I work at uh, SUNY Niagara County Community College in Sanborn, New York, and I studied history at the University of Buffalo. So our goal here today is uh, basically to walk you through the first unit that you would study. Uh, so when I teach world history, I typically start out with geography and the five themes of uh, geography and all that. And the first real unit that I start with is uh, the plague and sort of like the renaissance that, that blossoms out of that. So our goal with this podcast is to sort of review what happened with the plague um, and sort of lead into uh, the Renaissance, which will be uh, another discussion. Yeah, and I think this fits very well with the geography theme as well, because you can see the plague spread um, through different areas, and, and we can kind of learn about geography through the plague a little bit, so it serves as a nice reinforcement for that as well. Absolutely. So we're going to start with the origins of the plague, which is a timely thing to talk about, seeing as we're recording in the middle of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, so... Nick, Kevin, what do you? What can you guys tell us about the origins of the plague? Well, the plague began, um, at least kind of the earliest um, examples of the plague, which was a very deadly disease. It becomes known as the Black Death or the Black Plague um, or the Bubonic Plague. Um, and the earliest traces of it seem to go back to China in around the year 224 BCE, which is going to be way before we see it have the deadly impact that it's going to have in Europe. And we also see it come back and forth throughout history, too. Another major outbreak after 224 BCE would be right in between this outbreak and the big one in 1347, which was during the uh, Byzantine Empire under Justinian, which wiped out about 50% of the population. So plagues are nothing new in history, clearly. Um, but they, they spread, and they're, they're really, really sort of scary. Uh, because during this time period, people don't really understand how disease works and they don't understand how germs work. So how does the plague, because uh, when, when I start teaching my class, I talk about the plague in the, in the 1340s. And how does the plague spread from Asia, like, you know, some small town in China? How does that end up killing, you know, half the people that live in London? Well, it, one of the big reasons that the plague spread is um, due to travel and due to trade, um, but also due to warfare. So um, one of the ways that it spreads to Europe that's often cited is a, a siege battle that was happening. There was a city called Kaffa, which was this trading city with all of these Italian merchants that would go through there. And the Mongols, who had this giant empire which had conquered um, all of China and, and most, most of Asia, um, they launched a siege. They surrounded this city and attempted to sort of wait out the Italians inside the city. And one thing they did to try to get the city to surrender was they took 
um, dead bodies from their own armies, you know, soldiers who had died, who had become infected with the plague, and they launched those bodies basically as human biological weapons over the walls of Kaffa and into the city, where it infected um, some of the Italians inside of the city that were besieged. So from there, Kevin, why don't you tell us what happens next? In early 1347, at the tail end of the siege, the Italian merchants flee the city of Kaffa to go back to Italy. And on their way, they're spreading this disease that they're carrying with them because it'll take a few days from when you contract the plague until you start showing symptoms, very similar to the coronavirus now, where you can take up to two weeks to show symptoms. So as they're traveling across the sea back towards Italy, they're unbeknowing to them, they're spreading this disease to other people. And then once they come to port, then it's essentially game over for the rest of Europe and the spread has already begun. Yeah, what's kind of interesting is when we look at um, when the ships arrived in Europe, in Italy, the ships arrived in the harbor and they realized that many of the sailors had become ill and died. There were actually very few still alive um, that had left the city. And the Italian um, authorities actually worked pretty quickly. They forced the ships back out to sea. Um, they would not let them back into the harbor. But just the fact that they had made contact and come into contact with people on shore already was enough to start spreading this disease in Italy. So even though they acted very quickly... Just that little bit of contact, it kind of defeated what they had attempted to do there. One thing that I think is, is really uh, fascinating is that Italy is such a huge hotspot for the plague uh, spreading. And part of the reason why is because of that trade. Like it was, it was so popular because it was where Europe and like the Arab world could sort of meet and trade. And so a lot of uh, a lot of things were going back and forth. Wasn't it Venice, uh, which was one of the uh, the big trading centers there? Yes, definitely Venice, um, and kind of its position on the Mediterranean Sea allowed for a lot of trading ships to head out from Venice into the sea and end up in you know wherever other places in Europe, in North Africa, in the Middle East, and that's why it was sort of the center of trade. Okay, so. When we're learning about coronavirus these days, people are talking about how it spreads, you know, if you cough, uh, if somebody sneezes nearby you and they're sick, or if you touch a surface that's dirty. Uh, but the plague would spread in a very unusual way, and it was different than a lot of other diseases. How, how did the plague spread? The plague generally spread through rodents and other small animals that would get infected by it, and then insects and fleas that were on them would then transmit it to other species. So humans would get it, livestock would also get it, which led to other issues too. You know, obviously you have people dying of the plague itself, but then you start getting livestock shortages, which can also cause severe hardship on populations as well. So through that, that is how most people started to get it. And then just kept spreading as people would interact with each other, unknowing that they have it already. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the other thing I think that's kind of interesting to note is that the plague is a bit different than the coronavirus. Obviously, we know the coronavirus, the name itself tells you it's a virus. Um, but the plague was, in fact, not a virus. It was a bacteria. Yeah, that that's pretty interesting uh, because uh, viruses are pretty hard to treat, whereas antibiotics can usually cure bacteria, right? So, uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, it is sort of interesting to understand how, how it spreads. And so it starts in Asia and it spreads into Europe and it kills somewhere between 30 and 50% of its, of the population of Europe. Uh, but did it, did it spread? I, I actually don't know. Did it spread beyond Europe to like Africa or Australia or any, any parts of the world there? Yeah, I would say that it spread, um, obviously, from Asia and initiated in Asia. Um, but there's evidence that in the early 1340s, the disease had already struck, obviously, China, but also India, um, Persia, where Iran is today, Syria, Egypt. So you can see that it was not only something that affected just people in East Asia and Europe. It actually spread throughout um, much of the Mongol territory, and that was a big part of it, right? The Mongols had conquered all of this land, and within there, they had this time period called the Pax Mongolica, the Mongolian peace, um, where trade was actually pretty peaceful. They, the Mongolians were taking care of, um, you know, bandit groups and stuff like that, and it allowed trade to sort of flourish through their empire. But with trade, we also saw this connection um, with disease spreading along uh, alongside that. Yeah, the the uh, plague generally spread from China along the Silk Road, giving you some nice world history vocab there. So you would see it go through one population center to the next along the Silk Road, which certainly would cover large parts of North Africa. So absolutely, Africa in portions was greatly affected by it. Okay, that's really interesting because like, it, it, it's strange how the... Uh, epidemics that can break out in certain areas can become pandemics when trade and when merchants basically unknowingly take these diseases around the world. And it sort of relates to today how you have, uh, you know, one disease break out in China and then suddenly a couple of people can hop on a plane and it spreads around the world very, very quickly. Yeah, we saw um, exactly that just the past few months so it definitely is we can really make this connection and you can see that um at this time that we're, we're talking about during the middle ages it probably actually spread quite a bit slower than it does today because travel was a bit of a longer process you couldn't just hop on a plane and fly to italy you had to travel the silk road so you could see um that that it might take months or years for a disease like that to spread from asia to Europe. Um, for a while in like European records, they've mentioned this great pestilence, this great sort of illness that was happening in East Asia. So they were kind of aware that something was going on there, but it hadn't spread to them yet. So it's, it's very similar, but kind of like almost slow motion of what we've seen in the past few months here. You know, maybe we mm-hmm. should talk about some of the symptoms of the plague and, and some signs of it. Um, do you guys know any of those? Uh, yes. One of the earliest signs that you had it was the enlarging of the lymph nodes. So typically in your armpits or your groin, you'd see swellings that could grow up to the size of apples. And then as it progressed, you would start to see these black marks on your skin that would start to ooze like pus and bile and other bodily fluids as well. So without making it too political, uh, thinking about like the response to the coronavirus and we've seen a lot of different countries go into lockdown. We saw in China they had a very extreme sort of measure of control. In the United States, less so. What sort of responses were uh, political and religious leaders doing 
during the uh, the plague to try to control control. Well, that's an interesting question. Um, one of the kind of interesting, and I'll take the um, more I guess political example here is when you look at a map of the plague um, and the amount of death that it ca- caused throughout Europe. Poland was hit at a much lower rate than much of the rest of Europe. They had um, very few people killed as a result of the plague and the question has kind of come up as to why is that why when you look at this map is there kind of this hole in the map in poland um well the polish leader at the time a a king named casimir the great um took pretty quick action he actually closed poland's border to european trade okay he understood that um the disease was spreading and that you know that while this might be drastic to close down the borders and to cut off trade with other other um, nations or other kingdoms around him, um, it did work to limit the impact of the plague, because there was not this trade going on, there was not this kind of transfer of disease that was happening, and as a result, um, he was able to kind of protect his kingdom from the effects of the plague. Um, what's also interesting is that Poland at that time was um, accepting of Jews, and and that kind of connects to another area here. Um, In a lot of countries during this time, people were very confused about what was happening, and because they did not have the medical knowledge that we have today, um, this confusion definitely led to panic. There was not a way to treat this or deal with it. It It seemed to be spreading uncontrollably. They tried things like killing the dogs and cats within cities because they thought maybe they were spreading it. In fact, that would just cause it to spread more because those animals typically preyed on um, rats and animals that were carrying these these fleas around to uh, that were coming into contact with people in these towns. Um, but but Poland actually accepted uh, Jewish people, and that's interesting because in some kingdoms, Jews were blamed for the plague. Okay, and that's called a scapegoat when they look to place the blame for something on one specific person or group. Um, and in Christian Europe, Jews were a common target of that. There were rumors that they had started this plague on purpose, that they had poisoned wells throughout Europe as some kind of conspiracy. Um, so it kind of shows Poland was kind of an interesting case at the time. Not only did they act to close down their borders, um, but also their acceptance of Jewish people at the time was something that was quite unique. Uh, so that's sort of like how um, a political leader would have handled it. But during this time period, the Catholic Church was super important in Europe. And uh, what, what did the Pope do during this time period? So the Pope at the time, um, actually, uh, the, one of the big beliefs was that this plague was a punishment from God for um, the actions of you know, basically people on earth, or more specifically Europeans, and the Pope, the leader of the Christian church, the kind of uniting force throughout Europe, um, as well as the priests under him, often were taking the approach of asking God for forgiveness. And this did not work. Um, The plague just continued to ravage through Europe. So the kind of long-term effect of it was that the church lost a bit of its power. You know, people looked to the Pope and and they they asked why um, he was unable to sort of get 
God to forgive them and to to end this plague. Um, and it kind of led to some questioning of the credibility of the Pope and whether he really had communication with God as was believed at the time. Hmm. Um, and it leads to a couple of other things. It leads to the rise of humanism. So the idea of kind of focusing on earthly accomplishments rather than just the afterlife. Um and also would kind of down the road lead to the acceptance of criticism of the church by people like Martin Luther, who led the Protestant Reformation of Christianity. That's really interesting. So, uh, Kevin, were there any interesting lessons or outcomes from the plague that we should know about? So, one thing, just to reiterate something that Nick brought up that is very interesting is how it sort of traveled and the way it impacted different populations. Obviously, we talked about how Poland was largely spared, obviously not entirely, but large portions of Poland were comparatively unaffected by the plague. In comparison to a place like Florence, the city in Italy, which saw 90% of its population die during this period to the point where so many people were dying at such a high rate that they couldn't bury the bodies fast enough and they would just leave them where they were when they perished. So there's that. Also, to sort of draw it into things like today with the coronavirus, there's some you know similarities here. It's spreading via trade. Once it hits population centers, it's spreading exponentially as it did back then. You have this period of time where it incubates inside the body that makes it so hard to track. And obviously back then they wouldn't have had testing, but even today we still can't test as many people as we should to properly track it. So you have this one to three day period where people aren't showing symptoms of the plague, but they're passing it on to other people. So there's a lot of different things that we can take away from it in terms of what it did back then in the uh, 1340s and 50s and what we're seeing today in 2019-2020 with COVID-19. Yeah, one of the things I think uh, that often often I forget even sometimes is that the plague originally spread when uh, the fleas on the, on the rats came into contact with humans and there was that transmission into humans. But eventually it mutated and it became sort of like an airborne virus or an airborne uh, uh, plague, rather, not a virus, and uh, started to spread with people coughing and, and things like that. So it really, how it mutates and how it changes makes it even more dangerous. Whereas today, we believe right now that uh, the coronavirus doesn't do that. It's, uh, it's just droplets in the air. Yeah, that's, that's definitely some interesting comparisons to the current day. Um, we can also take a look, too, at the like immediate impact of this. So what happened after this, after this kind of great plague, and after we see these populations um, in places like Europe drop by like 50%, or as Kevin mentioned, 90% in Florence. Think about that. That's nine out of every 10 people in that city dying from the plague. It's it's just crazy to think. Um, but what were like some of the immediate impacts here? Let's, let's talk about that. Um, one of the things that was, was kind of noticed was that it actually led to the rise of the middle class. Um, do one of you guys want to explain why that happened, why a middle class developed after the plague and after all of these deaths? Like, why did it seem that some somehow society sort of, in a way, almost kind of had a positive outcome through this? Sure. <laughs> so, with the... 
uh, loss of so many workers. You have a supply and demand curve. There is a demand for a certain amount of work to be done, and if there's a lot of uh, people that can do that job, wages tend to be pretty low, right? Think about McDonald's. We have, you know, hundreds of millions of people in this country, and pretty much all of them would be qualified to work at McDonald's. Whereas, if you're thinking about uh, if half the people in the country suddenly died, the number of people that McDonald's could hire was just cut in half. So in order to attract the workers, they need to raise wages. So people started to uh, be able to get paid better for the jobs that they were doing because there was less competition, which meant that the, the overall wages had to rise. Therefore, people were making more money, and thus a middle class sort of showed up where they weren't super rich, but they weren't super poor. So one, one interesting impact of this is, uh, I think Nick mentioned that people started losing faith in the plague, or started losing, <laughs> yeah. people started losing faith in the church when the plague uh, sort of was unstoppable and God wasn't answering their prayers. And uh, what kind of impact did that have long term on the Catholic Church? Yeah, that actually led to a decline in the power of the church um, because they were unable to respond to fix this problem of the plague. Um, it, it led to people losing faith. It led to people having less of a focus on the the teachings of the church and kind of putting, um, you know, put, kind of holding faith in the church. Um, so yeah, it definitely leads to a decline in the power of the church. But that doesn't mean that there's not going to be people with power um, because the church begins to lose power. People start to turn more towards their political leaders, towards kings. Um, and so what we see is that the time period that follows the plague sort of lifts us uh, a bit out of the Middle Ages. We start to see the birth of nation-states rather than just kind of city-states or small kingdoms. Um, and we see countries starting to develop in the way that we know them today. Countries like France and England um, starting to kind of grow and form. And in that power struggle between the church, the people, and the governments, you also start to see the rise of guys like Martin Luther, who a little over 100 years after this point would post his famous 95 Theses. Absolutely. So people started to question the church. What uh, sort of connections can we make with the plague and like uh, the modern day, either coronavirus or the flu pandemic 100 years ago? Uh, what kind of connections can you make uh, and what kind of lessons can be learned uh, from the plague? All right, well, the, to cover it sort of in brief, as brief as I can, the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, which started at the tail end of World War I and spanned across the following year of 1919, uh, which cost us about 50 million people across the world, which, to put it in comparison, World War I was about 20 million people, so... More than double the people, roughly, is how many people died in the Spanish flu versus World War One, And that started through trade, which then spread unknowingly, since it would take several days for people to show symptoms. Pretty common with the flu, you're contagious before you show symptoms. You'll start to spread it, and once it got into europe and the trenches then it was game over essentially and it was it was just going to start spreading way too quickly yeah and i think one of the interesting things about that is uh with the disease uh sort of being brought to the soldiers in the front line 
those soldiers then from, you know, however many countries, a dozen or so countries, they go home and it starts to spread in those countries itself. And so it's part of the reason why uh, this pandemic uh, sort of exploded and, and the numbers were so high. Yeah. What are major differences, Nick, that you can sort of draw between something that we're experiencing right now and the plague? I think the biggest major difference is pretty clear. It's it's the fact that we have technology today. Um, research, we have a lot more technology that can help us conduct research. We, can, we understand a lot more about illness. We understand a lot more about, um, you know, viruses or bacteria. We are now able to kind of study those things in depth. And then with the creation of the internet, that information can be shared instantly. So if a scientist in Korea makes a discovery, scientists in America and Britain and in Russia can immediately have that information at their fingertips to also be able to kind of use that. Um, so I think that's a, that's a pretty interesting thing. And I think that's why we kind of tend to get a better grip on these things than they could back in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. So lessons that I think we can sort of draw from the plague is uh, social distancing and isolation, right? One of the reasons that the plague was able to spread so well is because people were traveling a lot. Um, they were interacting with others a lot. Uh, and it wasn't super hygienic. And so we hear these things today about social distancing, uh, staying at home as much as possible, washing your hands as much as possible. Uh, and I think that really sort of drives home the point that things can be different today than they were back then. We don't need, you know, uh, 50 million people to die to, to sort of uh, learn, that, learn that lesson. Yeah, exactly. And we can do, um, we can still do a lot of the things that we do. We can still connect with one another. Um, we can still, in a a number of industries still kind of continue working from home. That's become a, a popular thing now, the home office or working from home, uh, which wouldn't have really been possible in the Middle Ages because at that time there was no way to communicate unless it was written letters, which would involve one person touching the letter and passing it to another person, and obviously there's contact there, or uh, face-to-face communication. Um, and, and the social distancing point you make is really good too, because that's something I, I forgot to mention earlier when I was talking about Poland. One of the other reasons Poland was sort of spared from the plague was the fact that their society was more rural than a lot of other European countries at the time. They had fewer cities and fewer built-up towns, so you had less kind of, it was, I guess you could say, less densely populated, which makes it a little bit more difficult for a disease to spread. Absolutely. Uh, any last thoughts for you guys? This was fun. Let's do it again. Absolutely. All right. So uh, that's our first episode on the plague and how it it started to spread. Uh, We'll be talking to you next time about the Renaissance and sort of the rebirth of uh, of culture and uh, and really the rebirth of Europe uh, following the plague. Uh, For Kevin, for Nick, and for myself, thank you for joining us and uh, stay safe.